Welcome to the Yoga Meets Movement Science podcast. I'm Jenny Rawlings, a longtime yoga teacher and educator, and I'm joined by my co-host, Dr. Travis Pollan, an exercise science professor and a longtime yogi himself. Together, we take a science-based look at many of the common questions, myths, and controversies that arise in the realms of yoga, movement, and fitness. Join us on this crash course where the worlds of yoga and movement science collide. Welcome to episode 29 of the Yoga Meets Movement Science podcast. Today, we are planning to take a good look at the excellent question of how do I know or how do I discern who to trust and kind of specifically when we we mean like who to trust for information on the body and movement, that's kind of like the specific lens that we're taking with the specific focus of our podcast, but uh, just, you know, within the wide and vast sea of information that is always coming at us and all the conflicting information and opinions and beliefs that are just always coming across uh, the path that we're tuning into, how do we like have some productive tools to kind of hone in and get a sense of like which sources of information, which which people who are sharing information are maybe a little more likely to be more trustworthy and maybe more evidence-based than other people. And this seems like a really important uh, question and one that I feel is really kind of integral to kind of Travis's and my whole work together and everything we do with this podcast as well, but just doing our best to try to try to share ideas and tips for how to take a more science-based or evidence-based approach and perspective on whatever it is we do. But uh, we know that specifically like our audience, we're thinking yoga and movement, maybe fitness, and also maybe expanding that to like um, the rehabilitation or the therapeutic realm. We, there's like maybe some crossover there. So this question of how do I know who to trust is one that Travis and I actually tend to get quite a bit. Like I personally have gotten this question from multiple people in just the past week or so. I don't know if there's like something in the air, but I think it's something that really comes up for people a lot when they realize, and this frequently happens, uh, when, when we realize that something that we've been taught that we used to believe was true, we maybe learn more information and then we look back and realize what we were taught before isn't necessarily evidence-based or supported. And then that can that can send us to feeling many different ways and especially just confused. Like, well, moving, I thought I could trust that source. How do I know who and what to trust moving forward now that clearly I was like wrong to trust them? So anyway, that's what this episode is about. And uh, our plan today, just like kind of a general outline for what we're planning to focus on is kind of beginning with just some tips for how to think scientifically, just in general, like how to maybe be a more critical thinker. So tips for that. Uh, A look at some common biases that we all fall prey to just by the nature of our being human and the way that our brains work. But the more we're aware of these biases, the more we can try to recognize them when they happen and try to move, move away from them. 
uh, and what types of signs to look for when trying to discern whether uh, the information that you're hearing from someone seems to be like credible or evidence-based. And uh, just to reiterate that, again, we're kind of looking at this today through kind of our specific focus of yoga movement, maybe rehab worlds. But a lot of the tips that we'll be talking about today, especially for um, just how to think more scientifically in general, they apply to just everything across the board as far as just modern daily life and all the information we're taking in in all realms, right? And that comes at us through like social media, um, the media in general, blog posts, uh, the news, just like everywhere. So yeah, so how can we kind of incorporate just some tips that Travis and I would like to offer to kind of hone in and know what to, what to, what's maybe more trustworthy and what we can just like disregard. So that is our plan for today. And uh, I mean, I know that I personally have felt confused and still the times will come out where I will feel confused about all of this. Uh, Travis, do you agree or have you experienced or do you have people come to you who seem just confused about like, how do I know who to trust? Sure. Well, I mean, I teach undergrad exercise science students, so <laughs> I, I I feel like I, I'm trying to foster these skills in my students. Mm-hmm. And I think it's especially salient, like coming off of a global pandemic, right? Like yes, this is, 100%. these skills are transferable. So although we're talking about exercise and yoga and movement and maybe a little bit of rehab, you can see how those relate to one another. But if you have that, I call it like my bullshit meter, <laughs> but, but yes, if you, yes, you, have, totally. you know, if you can discern fact from fiction, uh, good information from bad information, that's going to be useful in many different realms. And I've, yeah. I've, you know, gone through this process on my own. And like you said, I'm still certainly going through it. It's a, it's a never ending process, but I feel like uh, uh, in 2022, I'm better at discerning mm-hmm. good and bad information than I was five years ago, 10 years ago. Do you think it's something that like we get better at with practice? I hope so. <laughs> maybe, maybe I'm getting worse, but, uh, no, I'm sure. yeah, I mean, I think, sure. you no, are not I, getting think worse, I think practice for sure. I mm-hmm. think scientific training I mean, I, yeah. like in, in those last five years, I did my PhD in the last 10 years, I did, uh, an undergraduate degree and a master's degree, uh, 100%. as well as personal training school. So been exposed to a lot of both good information and not as good information, but in, in school and outside of school, like from all of the outlets that you mentioned mm-hmm. that we all tune well, into, and that's, right. Yeah, that's the especially hard part. Like, you know, you're going to come across some fluff on the internet, but what about when you're coming across information that you believe to be not as up to date as it could be like in school, for example, mm-hmm. uh, that's, like in that's a school, tough, yeah, in I know that's, I know in the, in the physical therapy school circles that I run in, mm-hmm. uh, like some students are sometimes frustrated if they've been exposed to more of this critical thinking, evidence-based crowd and then they're in PT school and they're finding yeah. that that isn't the, the, the people who are teaching the courses there maybe aren't in tune with the same sorts of things. Like that's, that's a tough position to be in. 
Absolutely. And like, how do you reconcile all of that? Yeah. Yeah. So I think we, I guess we hope to kind of look, look at that today. And, and also some ideas of when you find yourself in a situation like that, where you're actively being taught, maybe outdated ideas and you realize that in the moment, or maybe after the fact you realize later you look back that um, as disappointing as that might sound, there also can be a bright side that we kind of want to talk about today. Yeah. Um, but hey, you know, before we get to that, or maybe just kind of mixed in with getting to that, uh, we were thinking that we might just like share a couple of our own personal experiences with, with um, you know, dealing with this in our own past and learning. Travis, do you want to start us off with like sharing just like an example from your past where you feel sure. like you learned some outdated info? Yeah. Yeah. So I, the, the examples that come to mind for me are when I was in personal training school, I had a really great mentor. And at the time I didn't know anything. I was, you know, going and doing this diploma in personal training. And so I really looked up to this Mm -hmm. great mentor that I had and I took at face value what he taught. And for the most part, he was up to date. Uh, He was, he had so much experience working as a personal trainer himself in the field for many, many years. Yeah. And so anything that he picked up along the way, like you could take to the bank because that's worked for him with real people for a long time. But not everybody can be right 100% of the time. Mm-hmm. And, and I, years after the fact, well, uh, this has actually been an, a con, you know, a, a forever evolution afterwards. There were certain things that I learned that I realized or am realizing were not quite as up to date as they could have been. Mm-hmm. And at, at the time in 2012, 2013, they might've been more accepted, but now 10 years later, they are, some people still believe these things, but, and it's everything that we talk about on the podcast, quite frankly, but a lot of stuff uh, we've debunked on. Yeah. 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 It's like these things that were believed to be true by most people at the time are still believed to be true by many people, but we've, you know, the science has come to show whatever, Mm -hmm. uh, anterior pelvic tilt, lower cross syndrome, upper cross syndrome, Muscle all the postural stuff, all the muscle imbalances. Those are all the things that were in, in the textbook that we used in personal training school. And then we're, we're taught to us. This muscle is short. This muscle is long. This muscle needs to be activated. This muscle is sleepy, dormant, whatever. So, you know, you're taught these things and mm-hmm. you believe them to be true because you have no reason not to. And then over the course of going and doing further schooling and exposing myself to other training philosophies and other educators, I, I had some hard realizations, you know, I, like I had started a blog shortly after finishing my personal training diploma. I was putting out in, I was kind of regurgitating Mm -hmm. some information maybe with my own spin on it. But if you look back or if I look back on my old blog posts from 2013, I'm spewing a lot of this, outdated or incomplete or incorrect information. And I got pushback from smart people. And I appreciate that because when you put your ideas out there, you're subjecting yourself to feedback. And, and when people were telling me like, that's not quite right, 
that's not what the science mm-hmm, is really showing. Mm-hmm. That was like a hard thing for me to reconcile because yeah. the the immediate response was, well, I learned this from somebody that I really respect. Totally. I, I, I could, I, one possibility when you confront, when you put it in that situation, you can just double down, right? And they call that the backfire effect where you just, you don't, you're not open to any other perspectives. Mm-hmm. You just it pushes you even further, entrenches you into the thing that you believe. Yeah. Or I, once I started to like get exposed to some other ideas, it was uncomfortable. I wrestled mm-hmm. with it and I finally realized like, oh, I need to really deliberately expose myself to completely different ideas from these other people. Yeah. Like give myself some other perspectives and exposure because there's another side to this story. So that was, like I said, that was initially something that I started experiencing a few years out from personal training school. And then now over the eight years after that, it's like a constant evolution of encountering these beliefs that maybe I hadn't challenged before. And then thinking about, well, where did I hear this? why did I believe it at the time? Why did the person who told it to me believe it at the time? And is this, do I still think that this is true? Could it not be true? What does it all mean? Right. And it sounds like uh, you, it sounds like you actually, I would say, and I think this is um, not super common with everyone, but when you were starting to have some of your beliefs challenged by like other smart people, it sounds like instead of doubling down and just like sticking back with the authority that you learned from, you let yourself be open to, and even though that was uncomfortable and probably entailed, like you'd have to learn more and you'd have to, you know, re reframe and re re uh, just change and update your approach. Like that's a lot of work. No one wants to really do that yeah. in, in one sense, but you were open to it. And I think that's amazing and kind of rare. It's just so much easier to take the other path, you know? Yeah. Well, like a case in point, I wrote a blog post about anterior pelvic tilt and I wrote six exercises you could do to quote unquote, correct your anterior pelvic tilt or fix it or whatever. And I got pushback like, Hey, Travis, this isn't right. Uh, Anterior pelvic tilt isn't causing the things that you mentioned, blah, blah, Mm -hmm. blah. I spent another day updating the blog post. So Mm -hmm. reading the studies that had been sent to me, trying to wrap my head around this so that I could make sure that the information that I was putting out wasn't wrong. So instead of just saying, well, if you, if your static posture is in an anterior pelvic tilt, you need to do these six exercises. I said like, here are six exercises that you can do. Mm-hmm. Um, but the, because they were good exercises, but the justification for them originally was off. And I, right. I wanted to make sure I was meticulous about not being wrong. Yeah. (laughs) Misleading. Yeah. yeah. Uh, so I, I spent an extra day, uh, making like going back and updating the article blog post so that it was not incorrect anymore. Uh, and that's just like extra work that most people would be like, ah, screw it. Like, I don't, I don't care what's right. I just need to put something out there. It's done. Yeah. Uh, That wasn't, I don't want to put any more work into that. Yeah. 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 I spent another day working on it. Well, I really admire that that would be your approach, even though it did entail more work and effort. But I think that's like the in integrity thing to do, you know, either update 
the information you're putting out there or take it down, like stop putting yeah. it out there or whatever. Yeah. I guess once I, once you realize, uh, what's that fallacy called? The sunk cost. Sunk cost fallacy. <laughs> That's a good one. I didn't, I didn't want to, Travis. I, when you've already, when you've already spent so much time on something that. Oh, and money, feel, right? Yeah. Time or money or resources or whatever that you feel like you can't abandon it. So you mm-hmm. like you're like continue, or something. Yeah, you continue to spend more. So a good example of this would be like if you're at a movie, you've purchased the tickets for the movie, <laughs> you're at the movie, you realize that you don't like it. Like you're actively right, like not doing it. Yeah, you've already spent the money. You should just leave. Like you're not going to get the right. money back rather than subjecting yourself to another hour of uh unenjoyment, like just walk out. Nobody ever does that, right? That's um, right. Yeah. Or at least I, I don't. I, I stay and suffer, but. Uh. <laughs> right. But I think that is a, I'm glad we, because we, I know we maybe wanted to touch on some common fallacies like today as we're, you know, trying to talk about how to think more scientifically. So as they come up, I think it's good that we identify them. And that's a good one. I see that one often in the yoga world as well. Like, you know, we, we invested time and, um, and money in some big training that we like got certified in with three letters or something. And then maybe later we find out that that training or the system is questioned by, by evidence, but it's just like, well, I already invest. It's like not worth it to me. You know, I'm already, I'm sunk. I'm in that. That's I'm just yeah. going to stick with that. You know, it's easy to do. Yeah. That's how I felt having gone through that training and then being mentored by other people all coming from the same school of thought. It's like, well, I've already invested so much in this, you know, yeah. my time and my my belief landscape that it's really hard to say, oh, well, I'm, now I'm going to go totally the other way. Right, right. Um, but you did manage to. And I think like one of the things, one of the things we wanted to talk about today, which was like the bright, looking at the bright side uh, of when we realize that we've been taught, you know, maybe outdated information or or pseudoscience, things like this. Uh, one of the bright sides of that is that um, is that you re- like if you today realize that in the past you were taught something that was uh, outdated or incorrect, it might feel really frustrating. But at the same time, if we want to take a positive look on it, it's actually something to feel good about because it means that you have evolved, you have changed. Like if previously you were taught and you believed something that was like pseudoscientific, that means that back then in that moment you didn't discern that information, like you didn't discern well enough to not take in that information as true. Like you didn't question it. You just like, I believe this person is teaching me. I'm just going to go with it. Mm -hmm. Uh, And the fact that today you can, you now no longer hold those beliefs and you look back and realize like I was wrong. uh, What that information that was taught to me was wrong. It means that today, now in this moment, you've evolved and you've become a more critical thinker. So that's actually a good thing, right? Like we could celebrate right? That we've learned more. I mean, it's, yeah. it's so easy to just be like, I'm really angry about what I was taught, but maybe you could, we could just like look at ourselves and our own evolution and process. Yeah. But on the flip side, if you still believe everything that you believe from 20 years ago, maybe yeah. you should look in the mirror and wonder so, because about science is always why you're evolving. not evolving. Right. Hey, quick question for you. Are you someone who wants to be fit, healthy, and happy? 
And what if I told you you could get your dream body by simply just listening to a podcast? I'm Josh. And I'm KG. And we are the hosts of the Fit, Healthy, and Happy podcast. Listen, we get it. Fitness isn't easy. Carbs, no carbs. Just stop, okay? It doesn't have to be that complicated. And that's why we made this podcast. We get straight to the facts so you can become your best you. So the way to check us out is click the link in the show notes or search Fit, Healthy, and Happy podcast on any of the major podcast platforms. We'll see you soon. Uh, And then another thing that I feel like I got from hearing your story about your experience is that it also gave you the opportunity to kind of look at how you choose to think about information and how you, what sources you consider as authoritative and like, how do you know what you know? Uh, Why do you believe what you believe? Do you believe what you believe? Because just someone that you looked up to taught you that and you were just like well i i um they're an authority i consider them authority so i'll just believe what they say mm-hmm. like it just gives us the chance and i feel like it gave you the chance to really self-examine and right. have some time for some introspection and that resulted yeah. in a shifted and better perspective on how to take in information right yeah one once you have a few occasions where your those beliefs are getting challenged that's a good domino to get the ball rolling, to be like, oh, I need to really think about Mm -hmm. everything that I think about and think about why I think about it. And yes, it's a good opportunity for that. Right. Yeah. Uh, Well, can I share about my personal experience? Uh, And I think mine will actually speak to another element of how we can look at all this uh, from a bright side perspective as well. Like it doesn't have to be all bad. But I'd say like the most impactful example for me was once I started teaching yoga, I real like I I practiced yoga for 10 years or so before I started teaching. And then I started teaching and and I felt when I started, I was like, well, I practiced forever. I feel really ready to like teach like I'm, I'm there. But once I actually commenced teaching other people moving their bodies through space, I started to realize pretty quickly that I had a a big lack in knowledge as far as really understanding the human body and movement. And what I had learned through my yoga studies just hadn't really taught me what I would want to know in that realm. So once I started realizing this like lack of of knowledge and confidence in understanding that, I started to look for other sources, like how can I learn more? And I remember at that time, and we're talking I don't know, 2012-ish, something like around similar, I think, to kind of what you're describing as your your time. I looked around for like, where can I learn more about alignment? Like I really wanted to know more about alignment. I just back then I just thought that was really important. Like, how can I, how can yeah. I teach my students the right alignment that's gonna keep their bodies safe? Like I I feel like yoga traditionally doesn't really do a good job of that, or maybe there's some quote bad alignment in yoga. And I just want to know the right alignment and like I want to study that. So I looked, I Googled around for that and I found this uh, whole training with like a certification where this person who, uh, the, the person who started the whole system, it's a system with the brand, she, uh, she's a biomechanist. So she has her master's in biomechanics. Whatever, whatever that means. Yeah, right, right. But <laughs> she has me, a master's in biomechanics. She has a master's in biomechanics. I think it's yeah. okay to call her a biomechanist. And she called herself a biomechanist. Yeah. And that was, that was her quality. Like that was her credentials. And to me, I was like, oh my gosh, she knows biomechanics. She teaches about alignment. Like this is, I can't wait to learn. And it actually turned out that uh, this person has like a, it's like a national, maybe even an international reach as far as 
this program. But at that time, it's not the case anymore, but at that time, it, the program was rooted. She lived really close to where I lived oh. in Santa Barbara. So I was able to actually travel. Well, it was like uh, 20, 30 minutes, not really travel in, in one sense. But anyway, I was able to go there and study in person and take this program in person. Um, before she ended up leaving the area. So I did that program and it taught me so, it taught me so much. It was all about like proper alignment and proper mechanics and how to like, um, we had all these like quote alignment points in everybody's body that we had to like line, like, you know, line ourselves up like against a plumb line and check all these points for not only, you know, a pain-free body, but also just an optimally well body in general. Like there were these ideas that your alignment could be connected to, to health outcomes and things like that beyond just pain. So anyway, I learned all of that. And then, I, oh, and then, and then along with the um, getting your body in proper alignment, there are also a, a, a whole selection of corrective exercises that we were taught, you know, corrective exercises, right, Travis? I know them well. This, this <laughs> jibes with my experience. I was talking. About I kind of feel too. like that too, from what I know of your experience with that personal training school. Yeah, these corrective exercises that we're taught, like as movement teachers, that we can teach people to like correct these quote dysfunctions or imbalances. Imbalances. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that we as a movement teacher are somehow qualified to like diagnose and treat. You know, which of course. But then I was like, yeah, I can diagnose it. But today I'm like, that's like, that's out of scope for a, a movement teacher who's not also like a medical, uh, a medical professional, you know, I believe, yeah. I believe trying to diagnose, um, you know, dysfunction and treat, treat and diagnose. I don't really think that's within the realm of at least as right. me as a young teacher. So anyway, but back then I thought it was. And um, so, yeah, we had this whole selection of corrective exercises and it was great because I taught yoga. So I just integrated a lot of those corrective exercises into my yoga asana classes. I would just bring them in. And, and when I taught them, I would say, I would use language to my students about how like this, this movement that I'm teaching you here, this is like correcting or fixing this imbalance in your body. That's going to, you know, prevent you from either prevent you from, or cure you from, or treat some wow. pain. Yeah. These are, cause it's just what I had learned. I didn't know she was a biomechanist. I was like, yeah. that's my authority. You know, were the other students, Yoga teachers, personal That's a trainers. great question. Um, they it was a mix. It was a mix of um there were some yoga teachers, there were, there were, yeah, I think there were personal trainers, a very small handful, like there was an occasional physical therapist or two. Mm -hmm. I remember chiropractors mm -hmm. being in there. Um, and then also also a lot of people who were not movement teachers at all, but were just interested for themselves. Like they had heard of this work, they maybe had pain in their body, they wanted to learn how to align better. But in order to take the program, they also were trained how to teach people, like how to teach people how to get into alignment and how to do these corrective exercises. So there were people who were not movement teachers also certifying in it. Interesting. Um, yeah. And I was going to say, as I was reflecting about this, I did, I do have a memory that I'm, um, I want to say I'm a little ashamed to admit, but I'm not because it shows that I wouldn't do this today. But I, like you, I also wrote blog posts and articles that I put out there in the internet that were just, my source was this training. I just believed that this was what was true. I remember I wrote a, it's a kind of opposite blog post. You said you wrote a blog post about anterior pelvic tilt and how to like exercises to get out of it or treat it. Right, right. I wrote a, I wrote a blog post that was more about posterior pelvic no tilt, way. which is being tucked under because in our training, we were taught that everybody tucks under and that causes all this dysfunction. 
So I wrote a post about that. This is so funny. And I remember that, of course, I got a lot of comments where people were like, yeah, that's good to know. But some people questioned me. And I remember specifically, like someone who seemed smart posted a link to a study where she was like, what do you say then about this study that shows that the average person is actually in an anterior pelvic tilt? Like, you know, it's anterior pelvic tilt is normal and is the most common, like not posterior. Because I think in my article, I was claiming that everybody was in a posterior tilt. I remember when she posted that, it just for me maybe was cognitive dissonance, if that's the right word. I was just like, totally. I can't really take that in because <laughs> my teacher is a biomechanist and this is what she taught me. So I, yes. I think I just like ignored the comments. <laughs> I would not do that today, but this is me back then. Wow. So anyway, yeah, um, I guess a bright side to me for having, you know, because we, we do also want to kind of emphasize the bright side uh, is that I feel like along with outdated and misinformation that I learned in that training. Along with that, I also learned a lot of good information. I learned a lot about anatomy and a lot about um, just like movement, you know, just in general, just basic without having to layer on like ideas about dysfunction and health, but just simply how the body yeah. moves, you know, totally. right? Like I learned it. It's not like it's all hundred percent. Right. Just well, like I brushed aside. Yeah. Like the anatomy knowledge that I have, I didn't, I didn't major in exercise science as an undergraduate. Oh, so right. the anatomy and knowledge that I have mostly comes from personal training school. And now I teach exercise science. So, Isn't that funny? Uh, yeah. Like, yeah. I, I, I took an anatomy and physiology class in grad school, mm -hmm. uh, but only one. Mm -hmm. So my, I have a very, my foundation really does come from that 500 hour diploma. So like mm -hmm. you said, you, you just take the good and the bad. Exactly. And I think, yeah, that that's just a good way that we, we don't want to, you know, we're already done with the training. We did it. You know, we don't necessarily need to be like, I wish I'd never done that because you did yeah. it, you know, and it's yeah. Yeah. part of who you are today. But there are pluses, right? Yeah. And my mine was way more positive than negative. Yours yeah. maybe sounds <laughs> like a bit of a mixed bag. Yeah. Yeah. But, which, uh, to be honest. Yeah. Yeah. Like, uh, I don't but regret. It's fine. Yeah. You don't, re you don't regret. No, yeah. Not in the slightest. Um, and maybe you don't either. I'm glad you asked that. Cause I was just about to say, I don't yeah. regret actually. Yeah. I, I, I think it actually helped move me, propel me forward on my movement path and my teaching yeah, path. Even, even if it was the wrong direction, uh, <laughs> exactly. now you can go back and be like, well, that's what not to do. Precisely. And and then we that's can, helpful. Totally. Then we can have this podcast. Like yeah. the overarching yoga meets movement science, but even this specific episode, because because I've been through all that, and you've been there through you what go. you've been through. It all <laughs> it's all justified now because we can talk about it in this episode. Ex but yes, obviously, you talk about this. Like this is this is a theme that runs through all of your teaching, right. like the the misinformation potentially that you learned then it's like well here's what not to do here's what not to do here's what not to do totally so that's yeah it is right because oh yeah thanks for bringing that up that was another point about why we want to look on the bright side about having learned outdated oh, info yeah. is that right um when we realized we were taught outdated info at least that helps us have a better sense of the landscape of ideas that are out there right yeah Travis? well you know it's funny like i joke about this so I'm, I teach undergrad exercise science students, most of whom, or many of whom are going to be future physical therapists. Right. And so I, I perceive having been around the block, you know, I, <laughs> I learned all these outdated things. I have now updated my beliefs and I, I try to instill these updated beliefs and narratives into my students yes. who are just receiving this information 
very early on in their academic careers. So they haven't heard the bad to then hear the good to then be like, well, I heard the bad and now I'm hearing the good and like have that cognitive, that experience of cognitive dissonance. So if I'm only giving them the, I try to only give them the newest and most up-to-date and evidence-based information, they don't ever have that experience potentially. Mm -hmm. So like, they're not realizing they just, they don't, they don't get that experience of, I heard this now I'm hearing this. So on the one hand, that's good. But on the one, the other hand, like they don't, that's not, that may not be a process that they go through if they, all they ever hear is the, the up-to-date information. So it's just, but they're like, they don't recognize that maybe I'm, I'm more up-to-date than other people. So it's just, it's funny to think about. Right. Right. Like they, hopefully I, I can, you know, help them avoid going down that path to then come back to a better path, like saving them a couple of years of that. Um, mm-hmm. we, we shall and see. Would you also suggest Travis that maybe in uh, educating your students about the common myths that are out there also might help them understand for their future patients when their patients come in or clients come in with these ideas about how pain works that are maybe outdated, you know, maybe if the, if these, when they are physical therapists later, when they realize like what, what general society believes about these things, they can then maybe relate to their patients in a more productive way because they understand like where they're getting these ideas or, right. You know, well, yeah. So, but that's the interesting idea, right? If everybody else, if you and I heard the bad, the wrong information, then relearned the correct information, we are, we can easily relate to people who come to us still earlier on in the learning process. Yeah. But if if you only ever learn the correct the information, yeah, then maybe maybe you're not as well equipped to talk to people who are like why why the heck would you think, you know, yeah. why why would you believe the biomedical model when we have the biopsychosocial model? Right, right. But in general, it just seems like it's a positive to have an understanding of the information and the misinformation that's out there. I feel like if we want right. to relate with people, and especially if we want to educate them, like be educators. Yes. So it's good. You know, it's good that both you and I had these past experiences, and I'm sure many of our listeners can relate to like what we shared. Or, but anyway, uh, what do you think about establishing just a couple, like going over a couple of terms and definitions mm-hmm. when it comes to like thinking scientifically and just in general, this like broad look we're taking at this at this topic, we had a couple terms we wanted to address here, which were pseudoscience and outdated beliefs, right? Mm-hmm. Um, because I feel like these terms are used quite frequently. I think, I think most people have like a sense of what they mean, but it just might be nice to kind of define them. So we're a little- Yeah, and another related one that I often hear is bro science. Oh, bros. I, I, that, is that common kind of like in the fitness world or the lifting yeah. world? Yeah, what's, but what's it's, bro it's science? the same. It's the same thing as pseudoscience, just out, applied to uh, perhaps bodybuilding context or fitness context. That makes so I I I um, could be wrong. I had this like superficial impression that bro science also like was what you said, but also was kind of like an emphasis on um, people placing priority on their experience. Uh, more yeah. than like on actual, you know, like well, I lifted this way and this happened to me, and so that's my. Yeah, you know, my, that's, my N equals one, true. or or if that's you're a trainer, true. you have like your applied experience. You know, like well, yes. science says it, this, but it, I do this. It could have a positive or negative connotation. 
it, but to your point, it's very much experience based. Like, right. well, I learned, I learned this or I figured this out, quote unquote, in the trenches, working that right with in actors, the trenches, working with yeah. real clients. And I'm at, a, as a corollary, I'm as a corollary, I'm ahead of the research. Uh, oh, right. like that's what they would say. What a bro science yeah. person would say. That's right. Perhaps. It's like pre-science or something. Yeah, or I don't need you know, I don't need to listen to the research because I've figured this yeah. out in my in my own in my own lab experience. in the gym. That's right. So yeah, and I think um I believe you would suggest that like experience is important when people are making like decisions about I don't know how to prescribe yeah, it's, exercise it's or how to treat. Absolutely a type of evidence. Yeah, it's a type, right. But it's just like not the whole picture, right? Like mm -hmm. there's mm -hmm. also, yeah, evidence from actual research. Yeah. Which, so yeah. so maybe to your to your point, it's not exactly the same thing as pseudoscience. Pseudoscience has a largely negative connotation. Bro science maybe has a mix of it could be negative, but it could also be okay. It's just this is your this is your anecdotal experience. That's your bro science. Because Travis, you actually mentioned a term that actually would be good to define too. You said bro science is often like anecdotal evidence. Could you tell yeah. us what, what's an anecdote and what's anecdotal evidence? Right. So an anecdote is In just- In case people, if people don't know. Uh-huh. Anecdote would be your experience. So mm -hmm. my experience, any, when we'd say N equals one, that would be like with myself or maybe mm -hmm. with one case, like one client. Um, this is what happened. Therefore- the the fallacy is extending that to say, well, this is what's always going to happen with everybody. Right. And, and that, that right. can be tricky. But somebody who has a really rich experience working with many people might actually have valid anecdotal evidence or experience that maybe hasn't been studied in a research context or can't be studied in a research context. What's tricky is that our our ability to discern um fat scientific factor maybe scientific mm -hmm. isn't the right word but we're biased so exactly. we tend to see things that we want to see and our anecdotal evidence might not be as rigorous for example let's say i had success with three people doing one thing and seven people uh it didn't work for well i might more easily forget the seven people that the thing didn't yeah. work for and remember better oh or the uh, another example would be like recency bias so the mm. i tried intervention x with patient and and the most recent patient it worked for the other five the la the previous five it didn't work for but i'm good i've i've forgotten about all of those because exactly. they were a while ago this person that's most recent now this thing is the greatest thing i'm gonna keep using it. i'm gonna tell everybody it works Thank you for mentioning and defining recency bias as well. Like all these biases, I think just becoming aware of the fact that our brain kind of operates, it's such natural for our brain to operate yeah. this way. Um, it's human nature, but the more we're aware of these tendencies, the more we can try to recognize them when they happen. That's the most important thing. I think people are always on social media saying, you know, I, I've, I have so much experience. I've trained, trained hundreds of people. Yeah. You know, I'm like we said, I'm ahead of the research or, the research is too, you know, the research in this is never as good as my own experience because they're not doing it the right way. But you know, people fail to realize that they're subject to so many of these biases That's that right. they don't see things as clearly, which is why we do science and what is very well controlled, has a control group, for example, sets, you know, randomization, sets people, sets 
a study up in a way that we can actually say that this or with with more credibility say that this thing caused this outcome. right because uh part of just the very nature of science is to try to eliminate bias as much as possible from the process yeah like it's like written into yeah. that and yeah like when you do when i do an intervention with a bunch of people and it works well there's so many other reasons that it could have worked could have worked because i told them it was going to work and mm -hmm. I believe that it's going to work. And I got them to believe that it worked. That's and th right. like that could be more powerful, like the placebo element mm -hmm. of that than the like active ingredient in whatever the thing was that I was doing. And so afterwards, I can look at it and say, this worked with everybody, but it might not be because, because of why you think of the it thing. worked. Yeah. And so That's me right. recommending to other people that they do it, like they might not have that as same. strong a belief in it and, they, and it might not work for them. And it, that's so, so true, it's just, Travis. It's very tricky. And it might work. The other thing that people forget is, well, it worked for me and my clients and I, but I'm, I'm forgetting that I mostly work with professional mm. basketball players mm -hmm. or um, famous oh actors. Gosh, yeah. And it's like, well, it worked for these people, but I'm not. And so I'm telling you to go use it with your people because it worked with all my people. But if you trained desk jockeys, mm -hmm. You know, mm -hmm. people who are di so different from the people that I train, it might not work. And Absolutely, that's just not and these are the things you can't. Included. Yeah. So, I, yeah, like I'm what I what I'm saying might be true, uh, but it might not be true for you. Might be true in my experience. Yeah. Yeah. yeah totally. And that's um that's like why we need science, right? Because you can you can uh, on an anecdotal level work with a thousand people, but if you use the same bias in all those thousand times, it's not really going to amount to much as far as like yeah. like actual objective evidence base. People argue on the internet, and like they're both probably right, uh, and they're forgetting that yes, th they're really they're not point. allowing for the possibility that they could both be right because the the arguments are totally different. But it's well, are you re recognizing that? you and the people that you work with are very different. Right, right. That's so, yeah, there's so many contextual factors, right? Yeah. So let's get back to our terms. We talked, like, talked about bro science leading to all of that. Uh, what is pseudoscience, which is another term that gets thrown around? Pseudoscience would be anything that you believe or practice um, that is regarded as being based on the scientific method. So it seems like it's science, but it's actually not. So that's the the pseudo aspect. Yeah. Of it. Like it seems scientific, but it's not really based on scientific method. Yeah. So, and that that's hard for people who are not scientifically trained to right. be able to separate that because maybe they're using a lot of fancy words mm -hmm. or, that's a big or one. maybe they have some good credentials that make yes. it seem like they would be scientific or any uh, any number of things uh, maybe their maybe their science is bad you know yeah. it's based in faulty science it seems like science um right but it has but it's, it's like problematic yeah, yeah right. totally yeah and and i feel for example we've talked a bit about like um physical therapy in this conversation and you know we know there's major uh discussions these days about trying to update physical therapy so it's, it's, what do you think about like Physical therapy to me feels like that is like a, that's a scientific field based on science, but maybe within physical therapy, there could be some pseudoscience within physical therapy. 
Yes. Like if we're thinking about these terms sure. and like, <laughs> right? Yeah. Uh, people who are using treatments that just don't have good evidence, but then right. maybe claiming that they have good evidence. Just a quick moment to interject and to thank you for listening to this episode of the Yoga Meets Movement Science podcast. As you can probably tell from this conversation, Travis and I value taking an evidence-based approach to the body and movement, which means incorporating insights from scientific research into our practice and teachings. We channel our understanding of movement science into our Strength for Yoga remote group training offering, which is a monthly strength program we created to make strength training accessible and relevant for yogis. Our program empowers yogis in both their yoga practice and their whole life in general. Our Strength for Yoga program also comes with unlimited access to my full yoga class library. Use code PODCAST30 for 30% off your first month in our program or your first month in any other membership on my website. You can learn more and sign up at JennyRawlings.com and the link is in the show notes. Also remember that other ways you can support us are by signing up for my email newsletter at JennyRawlings.com newsletter, and the link is in the show notes, and by subscribing to this podcast and leaving us a rating or a review. And now back to our episode. Yeah, because they're cherry picking maybe, which that's a term sure. to maybe yeah. talk about. Is like which one. is still, yeah, related to pseudoscience, but... Uh, Cherry picking would be a little bit more scientific mm -hmm, than pseudoscience mm -hmm. because you're at That's least true. relying on science. You're just doing a bad job of it <laughs> by only yeah. cherry picking is using only the research that supports your position. That's so right. there could be a hundred studies out there showing that stretching doesn't prevent injuries. But if you find three studies that show that it did, you can just pull those out, mm -hmm. put those in your uh, reference list and exclude all and the other ones. Go. And if somebody doesn't know about the other 97, then they could be persuaded. But the right. only reason that they were persuaded is because you cherry picked. And whereas the correct process would be to go through all 100, recognize yeah. that there are 97 that say that it doesn't, and then be fully honest and transparent about what the body of evidence says. That's but right. That's not as easy as finding three studies on Google Scholar that support you and running with that. That support your opinion. Yeah. Support the belief you already have. Would you say that cherry picking is a practice that, um, that just, it's kind of related to something called confirmation bias? Yeah. Yeah. So if I believe, if, if I believe, want to believe that stretching prevents injuries, mm -hmm. then I can find three studies. You can find a study mm -hmm. to support anything. So, right. so if that's the belief, because somebody told me that, it worked for me, it worked for me and a few other people, then I can find some evidence that confirms that bias, confirms my belief. I can cherry pick some studies. I can go on Google Scholar, find a few studies that show that, cite them, and then proliferate these incomplete or wrong narratives. Precise, yeah. Yeah. And it's partly, it's just easy to do because if you have a belief that you want to believe, it's just easier to go out of your way to pull yeah. out the evidence that supports you and just ignore the evidence that doesn't because yeah. of like motivated reasoning and confirmation. It's just like, it's human nature, right? Yeah. And even worse, let's say that you, so cherry picking, you've at least found a few examples to support your narrative. 
there are even worse things where you're just randomly pulling studies that sound like they might have something to do with the claim that you're making, knowing that people aren't going to go look at them, putting them there to justify your thing. Maybe you're even dumping a laundry list of citations that are tangentially related to your claim, but don't actually support your thing. But you're like, well, nobody's going to look. I've I've included so many studies that nobody's going to actually look them up. That's right. Anybody can put anything on Google, right? Like just anything out there. And if you throw a bunch of citations at the bottom that just on the surface look like they're sort of related, most readers will be like, okay, this person must know what they're talking. Like it's just a way of kind of yeah, making it look like you're more credible. Super frustrating point. to me. Yeah. And we've, we've meticulously goes through <laughs> and makes sure that the things that I'm citing are supporting the things that I'm saying. Right. A hundred percent. So that's kind of, it's good we're covering some of these things like confirmation bias and cherry picking. Um, another, maybe while we're talking about some terms, I feel like a couple of other, there are things called logical fallacies that I know, um, I don't think they're like the end all be all, but I know that when, when I, and as I continue to learn to be more of a scientific thinker, logical fallacies, help, learning about them really helped me. Um, because I could start to see them in things I would say. And when now that I know them a little better, when I see them in other people, I like, I'm just like, they're not actually making an argument. That's just a logical fallacy. Yeah. And there are a ton and you can actually be like quite an expert on logical fallacies. <laughs> and I'm not, I just like on a superficial level, um, have some familiarity with some of the common ones. So I, I thought maybe we could talk about some, there are some that I, in the yoga world specifically see a lot that I think our listeners will relate yeah. to. Well, I think the ones that you're going to point out are very common in. <laughs> oh, good. What? Okay. So what's the first one on our list for logical fallacies? Appeal to authority, mm-hmm. which is what we've been, what we've talking, been talking about, about with about. our own experience. That's right. We both when trusted. You, yeah, when you went out and taught based on that paradigm, and then and even when you were questioned, you were like, "Well, that's not right because so and so authority." Told me. Yeah, and they they they're an authority. I view them as a, an authority. That's because, right. Because of whatever, because they're self proclaimed or because they have credentials. They started a system with a three letter, right, 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 whatever. Right. They like own the system that certifies you. So you're like, "Well, they're my authority." But it's yeah. like, can't we, maybe we can start to think to look beyond that. Like just because someone starts a system or whatever does something to make you see them as an authority, can they also be fallible? Can they also be wrong? They can. I, I think they can and, and they, they are quite I think, frequently. Yeah, I think everyone should be uh, questioned. Everyone <laughs> should be questioned. Yeah, like no, no one is beyond question because, yeah, of, and... it, because of any of those reasons whether they have a PhD or a doctorate in physical therapy or uh, wrote a blog post or wrote a textbook or wrote a research paper or published hundreds of research papers. Like nobody's beyond questioning. Being questioned. That's right. And I think, and um, maybe this gets a bit into like kind of just our our list of takeaway tips for people for how to like tune into, you know, um, whether a source may be reliable or not, or someone to trust, but a really good indicator is like, well, how open are they to being questioned? And when they're questioned, are they defensive and they just don't want to hear it? Um, they deflect, yeah. you know, they, and... they appeal to their own authority. You know, yeah, who I am? yeah I exactly. Wrote, I wrote the book on this. And I think that also leads me into, um, the point that people who have a financial interest in 
the beliefs that they're sharing, if there's like a financial connection there, they're inherently going to have a bias because, you know, it's in their interest to keep yeah, these beliefs going. We might even refer to that in the science world as a conflict of interest. Yes, a conflict of interest, right? Yeah, where they're profiting on the proliferation of these narratives. So when questioned if that would hurt their bottom line, they're going to be less likely to entertain the counterfactual. That's like right. Alternative idea. That's right. So just inherently, like um, someone who starts a three-letter system, they're going to have a financial investment in like what they're teaching within that system being correct. And so that's just another yellow flag, I think, to look for. Like one red flag is when people are not open to being questioned. One maybe, maybe yellow flag, maybe it's a red flag, is if they have a financial investment in. Yeah, what I think saying. it's a yellow flag. I think that it's possible to be. Yeah. You know what would the alternative to be it's possible to be being it's possible to be open to being questioned and entertain uh alternative possibilities than the one you're providing even if you're making money off of something that, i, I, think I hope right. i mean I, yeah. yeah that makes sense to me so appeals to authority uh that's one logical fallacy like saying something is right because an authority said it right Mm -hmm. um, another one that I found big time in the yoga world is appeal to tradition. Right. What's that, Travis? That is when you, you know, you might be questioned and you say, well, we've always done it this way, or it's always been done this way. And that is even more powerful when you talk about a movement practice that's been around for a really long time that is steeply rooted in tradition. That's right. Uh, but it's, it's the case. It can be the case. You can, so you can appeal to tradition passed down through generations of lineage or whatever, but you can appeal to your own tradition of, well, I've always done it that way. And that, <laughs> that's, that's true. So they're both problematic, but it's probably even worse if you're just relying on your own tradition, because that's like, just because I've done it all this way forever doesn't, doesn't make mean it that's right. the optimal yeah. way just because it's, you've been doing it. Yeah. yeah and then the and that, that's like the easiest one to justify, like outdated treatments in rehab yeah. it's like well we've always done it this way and it, it's just like well you're, you're you might be too lazy to change totally uh, to go out of your way to like update. yeah yeah or, and, it, and it gets into like well we've always done it this way and we believe that it's working well have you ever taken the time to mm -hmm. actually test that assertion or is, right. are your are your colored glasses your tradition colored glasses making you see something that because you want it to be there because it's easier not to change. It's just easy. Yeah. Yeah. Maybe it's worked um, in some like mediocre way, but could there be a more optimal a way that way. you just haven't looked for? Yeah. Yeah. In the yoga world, I find a lot. Um, and the statement in and of itself isn't necessarily even accurate, but just like yoga is this amazing practice that's been around for 5,000 years. So like what we're doing today is so powerful because it's been practiced for 5,000 years. So that yeah. leads to a whole, we won't talk about it today um, too yeah. much, but like yoga's not, the yoga that we do today isn't really 5,000 years old anyway. It's like only about a hundred or so, but in general, just that like appeal to tradition, like yoga is extra good because people have been doing it for 5,000 yeah. years. That would be There's a logical fallacy. Mythical. Mythical or acupuncture is like really effective because people have been doing it for centuries. There's yeah, that. That's just, a very common it's one. It's just not a good reason. 
That's not a good, yeah, exactly. It's not a good reason, right? So that would be, that's appeal to tradition. I think that's a good one yep. to, um, what's next on our list of logical fallacies? Appeal to nature. Mm-hmm. What's that what's, what's that one? <laughs> appeal, <laughs> appeal to nature. And I, I find this very widespread in yoga, but just the wellness industry in general. Yeah. It's just these uh, these ideas, and this was very steeped in that um, alignment training that I took. It was very much like uh-huh. we need to be like hunter gatherers and be like in our natural state. But it's right. basically this idea that um, appeal to nature. It's like things are things that are natural are just better just because they're mm-hmm. natural, right. right? Is would you say that's correct? Yeah, totally. So, can you give an example? Um, yeah, it's not natural to sit in chairs. Um, you know, like our modern society. So instead we should all like squat, like that's not squatting is a natural movement. In fact, there are like systems of movement that are like natural movement. That was, that was actually Uh a big part of that alignment training I took, but there are others out there too. They're just like, this is the way you should naturally move. And like yoga, there'll be these like, um, people fear monger or negatively talk about yoga because yoga involves like non-natural or, or unnatural movements. In, in whatever, however they're determining what's natural and what's yeah. not, you know? But thought, like, oh, sorry. I thought you were going to say like the introduction of props, like that's not natural. Oh. Would that be an example? Or is that that's a really good. I could see thinking that from the outside, but I have not experienced. What would, be a, what would be a non-natural Maybe more pure. Movement? I think like in my Ashtanga past, it was definitely props were looked down on, not I don't think I would say natural, but it was just more like that wasn't appeal. It's just you. Maybe that okay. is appeal to nature, Travis. Maybe. And I just hadn't thought about that before. But then again, like you're using a yoga mat. It's not. Right. You are using a mat. Like a synthetic. <laughs> That's I don't right. Know. What, uh, so would an example be like practicing handstands? Yeah. Like that's not um, a natural movement. That's not a natural. Yeah. You wouldn't walk. We don't walk on our hands. We walk on our feet. Yeah. So why okay. would you do a handstand? We don't stand Got on our it. hands. Um, yeah. Or, you know, just like a lot of like end range positions. I don't know. Certain like um, arm binds in yoga, like things that just people were just would just look at that from the outside and be like, I wouldn't have done that as a hunter gatherer or if I lived in nature. So wow. that's got to be bad. That's an unnatural. I only want to do like squatting and whatever, whatever they perceive yeah. to be natural movements. Um, that's like a, in the movement world. But don't you think too, like in like the nutrition world, like there's just a lot. Oh like yeah. That. Anything natural is better. Mm-hmm. How many anything. products do we see yeah. in the grocery store? All natural. Yeah. But aren't yeah, there things they're, that they're are natural? Aren't there things that are natural that are actually dangerous and bad for us? For sure. Like lots, <laughs> right? Mean, yeah. There's like berry trees outside my house where the berry, like you're not supposed to eat those right well That's it's right, natural natural yeah. right um an example i've seen given before is like apple seeds which is just similar to what you just said oh yeah like you're not supposed, you're to, not eat supposed to eat those right yeah, and there's um, not too many of them that's right. That's right. Yeah, they're supposed to be bad for you. I also read an example of like murder. Technically, murder is like natural because it happens in the natural world. So like you know, we should be able to like murder. You know, just because like. Yeah, These are counter examples to show like why appeal to nature is a logical fallacy because right, just right. because something is natural doesn't mean that it's good. Like it's just not a good uh-huh. reason to use for a justification for something. Exactly. Okay. That's appeals to nature. Did we have any more on our list? I think the next one is oh, really yeah. good. We yeah. had the post hoc fallacy, which it, we've talked about this already. We have to, like, like on, on uh, other episodes. Well, even in this one, 
like when I gave the example of personal trainer uses a certain intervention with many people, right. it, they think it works. And because the intervention preceded them feeling better that, you know, or whatever got the outcome, they did the intervention, the people got the outcome that they wanted. Therefore, it must have been the intervention that yes. caused the thing because yes. it came before the intervention came before the outcome. But right. there could be so many other reasons why a person is getting an outcome. And this is especially true in the rehab world where you're delivering an intervention and it seems to be, well, they got better because we gave them acupuncture or whatever. It's like, well, they might have gotten better just because eight weeks passed. Exactly. <laughs> so so, right. so you, it's, right. it's very difficult to like say they, they got own. better because of this. Yeah. But when it's it's very easy to like observe that we, and we that's a bias, like uh, we're observationally biased towards thinking, well, this came before this, therefore. This caused what, What's the, yeah, what ergo proctor, if the, what's that sound um, for? Yeah, what is, it's They're, like. It's Latin. Uh, but it happened after it, this, so it happened yeah. because of this. Isn't that right? Yeah. After this, exactly. therefore, because of this. I think that's what that, um, post exactly hoc, it. ergo propter hoc translates to. After exactly. this, therefore, because of this. Right. And that's just, the, things can happen for so many other reasons. So Time reasons. or expectation bias or placebo or whatever so that you can't things. necessarily say unless it was a scientific, like a well-controlled scientific study that this caused that a hundred percent and i think that comes up a ton like you said in like personal training context but i think especially in like physical therapy and th in the rehab world and therapeutic you know, like massage therapy like i gave someone a massage and the next day they felt better in their pain like it just it could have been specifically the massage strokes that you did in that moment it could have just been the person relaxed for an hour it could right. have been that you told them what you were doing was going to make them either like you just yeah give or it could have been but it could have been that the passage of that day without the massage. Uh, they could have not had the massage and still felt better. Yeah. So that's why we need to be very careful with our observation and drawing conclusions, you know, stating evidence, ascribe, mm -hmm. you know, deriving evidence from our own observations because our observations are biased. That's right. Exactly. It's just so easy to make that post hoc uh, fallacy, which I, I think a good example that I've read before to just show how it's how that's like a faulty reasoning is like, um, and I'm sure maybe you've heard this one before too, Travis, but like the rooster crows right before dawn and then the sun rises. Uh, oh, yeah. So therefore we should think, well, the rooster crowed and that's what made the sunrise, right? Yeah. So if we look at that, we're like, we don't think that when we look at the rooster and the sun, we're just like, the rooster just crows as the sun rises or whatever, or right before. Um, so we can see these counter examples to start to see where, well, you know, in another context, right. something happened and something happened after, it doesn't mean it was because yeah. of that. So why are we believing this in a yoga context? Yeah, or exactly. Whatever. Or what? Or, yeah, exactly. Um, what about, what about, uh, this one? I just, I had this on the list and I actually just saw something on social media today that reminded me of this. This one's ad hominem. Mm -hmm. Ad hominem. This is another, I think this is a logical fallacy. Um, yeah. Yeah. Ad hominem. So, so. um, what's that? That's when you attack somebody. You is attack right? the person instead of their argument, right? Oh, Isn't right, that right, what right. that is? I was, I was missing that crucial aspect. <laughs> <laughs> right. right. It's like you're in so, a disagree or a debate or whatever yeah. and you, you you don't attack what they're saying, you just attack them as a person. Right. 
And um, I don't know. That's problematic. Yeah, because then you're not you're not talking you're not talking about the substance of what they're saying. You're just trying to bypass that and just yeah. like take the person down as a person. And I feel like I right. see that happen a lot in like internet. Totally, uh, it's it's very easy to make it personal. But yeah, we should, we, when we're debating, we want to stick to the facts. And a related exactly. one to that, and the last one that we'll, we can talk about is yeah. the, the straw man fallacy. Straw man fallacy, where you're attacking a position that the other person has not made. <laughs> so, so yes. usually it's it's an extrapolation. So if we said, um, what would be an example? Um, one that comes to mind is like we might talk about how alignment is really a nuanced oh, yeah. topic and it doesn't necessarily bad alignment doesn't necessarily cause injury like it's more nuanced yeah don't you feel like sometimes people straw man that and they say alignment doesn't matter jenny yes. said that alignment doesn't matter that's exactly the one that i was hoping that you were that thinking of <laughs> yeah but yeah. i couldn't think of it in the moment so that's the one i wanted to bring up yeah anytime you say like this is a nuanced thing people well the funny thing too is like if we say this alignment thing is nuanced. People who think that align, people who truly think that alignment doesn't matter, will say, "Well, Jenny's saying that alignment is everything." And then people who think that alignment is everything, they're saying, "Well, Jenny's saying alignment doesn't matter." <laughs> like, when when you do take this like middle of the road, the people with the the these at, at the other extremes will totally read the opposite of what you've said, or at least I've I've experienced that in relation to some of the the things that I tend to write about. Yes. Well said. And um, I think that maybe a way of understanding why this is called a straw man fallacy is because what you're doing is you're not actually taking what the person said and like trying to disagree with that. You're instead like, it's like the stuffed man, a straw man that you're propping up. That's not actually who the, per you know, who the person is or what they said. And you're attacking a straw, like a fake thing that they didn't even say. I think when I think about it that way, I think yeah. like, um, the scarecrow or whatever from Wizard of Oz, but just like a straw man. Like I'm attacking yeah, yeah. that. I'm not attacking what's actually being said. That's helpful for yeah me. for remembering. Yeah, yeah. So people like to when they don't like hearing that, like you and I might might question these ideas about alignment, these black or white ideas about alignment. They want to just like not address that and not hear that by mischaracterizing what we say to say something. Per that's perfect. What'd right. you say? That's perfect way of right. describing it. So then they they can say, she said this, that's crazy. Yeah! And this is the thing. And it's like, I never said that. But it's an easy way to, you know, pit people against one another or, or like help incite rage against you because by, by falsely characterizing. Totally. And I, I've experienced that quite a bit. It's like they'll, um, they'll say like, well, you said this and, and therefore, and then they go on this whole long thing about like all the reasons why I was wrong. But it's like, but you started off saying I said something and I didn't even say, if you lead with the straw man, like, go. I don't even need to read the rest of what you're, it's just like completely not, you know, it's, it's not an argument. So straw man fallacy. Yeah, I think I th there, and there are many more. Um, there are some really, I find them kind of fun. So like the, the logical fallacies fun to study oh, and yeah. learn about yeah just hit up the wikipedia page there's a million of them the what but i think the ones that you pointed out are the ones that i find to be most uh just helpful like in my day-to-day -day scrolling <laughs> oh thank you i'm glad you i'm glad you agree yeah they seem like the most relevant like how all of us trying to navigate like all of this information that's constantly coming at us um, I feel Travis, like we've kind of, we've kind of covered kind of a lot of just some points for how we might like 
look twice at how we or look uh, in a more discerning way about how we take in information in general and how to think a little more scientifically. What about um, uh -huh. kind of turning to our list of just like tips that we would recommend for how people how you might how you might look at a source or a person that's sharing information and how you may try to discern whether they're a trustworthy, more likely to be trustworthy or less likely to be trustworthy. Yeah, and I know we've covered good. some of these already, you know, for sure. But like, we could sure. just kind of, we could go through our, our tips um, and see how they land. Uh, our first tip on the list that uh, I think, again, it just kind of echoes so much, summarizes so much of what we've already said in this discussion, but is the person who's making the claim or sharing this information, uh, are they uh, are they like humble in the way that they share the information? Do they maintain like an air of doubt in what they're saying? Or are they super overconfident and just like, this is the way it is and they're making like absolute claims? Yep. Yeah. I, this irks me to no end. Because <laughs> <laughs> we see it all the time. Mm -hmm. People overstating or being overly confident when they're just it's way more yeah. gray or we just don't we don't know and people make it out like they know and yeah. it's a great way to galvanize the troops <laughs> and to you know get people to think oh wow this person's you know really smart and i'm gonna listen to them because uh, they're so confident they're, they're yeah yeah <laughs> Exactly. It's really easy, I think, to mistake confidence for like actual um, an actual understanding of the breadth of scientific literature on a topic. But I think, right. yeah, actually, something that we didn't discuss that I wanted us to was um, that I think is related to this is the Dunning Kruger effect. Right? Oh, right. Do you think that's like relevant here? Yes. Um, what What is totally. the Dunning Kruger effect? Dunning Kruger effect is when you are very new to a subject matter uh maybe not very new when you're very new you realize you don't know right. that much right but when you're when you're a little bit new Learn but you've some. you've studied a little bit yeah suddenly you think that you know a lot about <laughs> that topic right and uh that's where i was first coming out of personal training school i was like i just did 500 right. hour diploma program I'm I know everything. I'm like ready to take on the world here. Yeah. Um, and then the, as you go on and learn more, you find out that there's so much more yeah. out there and suddenly you feel like, Oh, I really don't know that much at all. Yes. I feel like I know nothing. I feel like, so that as I was getting my PhD, I was like, wow, I've studied swimming injuries for four years. And I feel like I know even less than I knew coming into this. Um, because you've been made aware of everything that's out there. Right. Uh, and that's actually a good, a good place to be. And it can feel like not a good place to be in because you feel like, you know, nothing, but when you've gotten over that, actually knowing nothing to thinking that, you know, everything to mm -hmm. realizing that you actually know nothing, that's a good place to be in because you just, you, you're at, you're actually more aware. And then over time you can learn more. Mm -hmm. uh, but you know what you know and you know what you don't yeah. know as opposed to just this this initial stage of the Dunning-Kruger effect where you what you actually know is very small but what you think you know is very large and that's very dangerous yes. because you're very confident you're outwardly 
you know, displaying this confidence and people might believe, you know, uh, uh, somebody who's very charismatic, mm-hmm. charismatic uh, when they and actually confident. only know, they know enough to be dangerous right. uh, because it makes it seem like they are very educated on this topic, but they have not actually gone over that uh, valley and into the a proper amount of knowledge and confidence in that knowledge that you get from being longer exposed into something. Absolutely. I think that's so well said. And I really, I like how you kind of delineated that. Like when you first learn about a topic, it's really easy to be like, now I know everything about this, but that when you learn more and continue to learn, you realize the huge breadth. It's not that you, uh, it's not so much that you know nothing, or maybe that you could say that loosely, but it's, but it's like you, it's more that you know what you do know and you know what you don't know. Like you said that, like, I think it's just that people who know a lot about the topic know what science doesn't know and know what questions haven't been answered. And that actually science, you know, has really just revealed just a small amount and we can. Yeah. You still know the same amount, but you know what the whole, what's out there so that you realize what you don't know. Yeah. Yeah. And um, I don't know, when you were talking, it made me think of um, Greg Lehman, who is someone we've had on the podcast. You and I both really admire him and um, just his understanding of scientific literature on so many topics. And we had him on episode five, the episode Stretching Myths and Stretching Facts. But something I've heard Greg Lehman say that that helped me kind of understand this too, was uh, that like the science on stretching is like so evolving and really like in the big, big picture, not a whole lot is known. So anybody who's talking about stretching in a very confident manner uh, probably doesn't really appreciate or understand the full body of scientific evidence. Like anyone who does would speak in much more hesitant terms, right? Which I feel like he did, like when we talked to him on the podcast and when I hear him talk about that topic in general, but like, we don't know a lot. So we, we've got to be kind of hesitant in what we say about what we do know. But then you have people yeah. out there just on the internet who are just like stretching will destabilize your joints and stretching will do that, you know, just so confident and brazen. Yeah. And it's like, do they really, do they really know? Is right. that a good source of information? I would say not. Yeah. So the Dunning-Kruger effect seems like it. I'm glad I'm, I wanted us to talk about that. I'm glad we talked about that here. Yeah. There's also just this question of, uh, are they, and again, I think this is actually, it's it's super similar, but do they embrace nuance and gray area and like the, it depends approach in what they say, or are they making just black or white statements? Like this is always bad for everybody. This is always good for everybody. Um, you know, so that's, yeah, yeah, super similar, but maybe just a a different way of wording, wording this one. Yeah. So like the answer to most questions is it depends. Yes. But if people aren't answering that way, then... Then that might be a, a flag, a yellow or a red flag. Right. Uh, what Agreed. about, uh, do they, does the person or the source of information, do they update their message as they learn new information? And are they transparent about when they update their message and like why they updated it? Or do they just like start talking yeah. differently, but they never owned up to the fact that this they... This one really grinds my <laughs> gears uh, because I, I, might I, I i'm well yeah two two things on this so i mentioned that i had many mentors who all came from the same school of thought uh from a personal mm-hmm. training strength and conditioning standpoint and the the guru in that area mm-hmm. we won't name I think names I know. but they prided they prided themselves on updating their information or up, uh, like 
uh, uh, allowing themselves to change their mind. So they were very, um, they championed this message of, oh, you should be constantly evolving. Oh, you should change your mind. Yet. But then did they actually do that? In the 10 years that, yeah, in the 10 years that I've been exposed to them, they've never changed their mind about anything. Oh my gosh. Um, So So it's one thing to say it, but then to actually. To espouse very outdated beliefs. Yeah. So it's, it's ironic, I guess. But the, a good example of that, of being, so there's a, a three-letter acronym that I was exposed to when I started out. I, I subsequently did a lot of research on it. And it did change its tune as research evolved, but was never transparent mm-hmm. about it. Just said one thing and then said the next thing and then said the next thing. And it became very confusing. It's like, well, what are they, what are they actually trying to espouse because they're just their goal, their goalpost shifting. Goal, yeah, shifting um, the goalpost. That's another fallacy, right? Yeah, shifting, shifting the goalpost <laughs> yeah. or changing uh, the goalpost. Yeah, where you just, yeah, you just change the, you know, the standard or the benchmark mm-hmm. that you're measuring something against, so you, stay so that you right. can never be yeah. wrong. <laughs> yeah, uh, without the, coming out and being like, "Hey, we were wrong," uh, and so it, it's hard. It's hard to do that. It's hard to admit that you were wrong. I think the ultimate irony in all of this is what you just said. It's hard to be wrong. And what that means to me is that it takes strength to be wrong. Like if you could admit that you were wrong and that you changed your mind, that actually speaks well of you and your character because you're you're going to have strength um, in what, you know, in your ability to change and be not not worried about what people think, as opposed to people who stick with you know, the wrong idea, but just because um, they don't want to look wrong. So they, they just stick with what they originally said. Don't want to look wrong. And and that to me is not strong. That That is someone who's actually weak, yeah. right? Like that's weakness. It's like, I care what people think of me too yeah. much that I can't look bad in updating. Yeah. Yeah. Can't look bad or uh, have too much money invested. Yes. In what I said before. Yeah. I have another example that I think of when I think about this. So in addition to the one that you shared about uh, that organization uh, updating their message, but not necessarily being transparent that they updated it, they just kind of kept moving forward as though they'd always said it. Mm -hmm. Another place I've I've experienced this to be the case is in, um, quote, myofascial release in the quote. um, self myofascial release, I should say. So in the yoga world, there's definitely a big presence on like um, rolling on balls, for example, for example, Mm -hmm. uh, as a means of like treating yourself or whatever in yoga. And when I first was taught and did trainings on myofascial release with balls, we were all taught that what the balls did was they like broke down fascial adhesions and like broke up scar tissue and just all like rehydrated your fascia. This was the the terminology we were all taught and what I taught when then I shared those techniques in class. Mm-hmm. And since that time, the science has has become pretty clear, or maybe it was already clear by that time, but people are still teaching outdated info. But yeah. massage and things like it, they they work more on like a neurological level than on actually physically changing tissue. Mm-hmm. So, and that's that's like the accepted evidence-based approach today. So what I've noticed is that these training systems that I had learned from that taught me the outdated stuff, I've noticed that they have shifted their language today. It seems it seems like it's more about like, let's roll on balls so that we relax, so that we quote, 
reset our nervous system, like whatever that means. Yeah. Things like they, their their language is more in the nervous system realm. I think because they probably finally heard or gotten enough feedback that they need to update. That's good. But never did I see them come out and say, you know, there's new information since since we started, you know, our thing or that we become aware of and we're going to change our terminology and. To me, that would have been really in integrity. Like I'm going to yeah. own and be public about changing this, but instead, it in Easier my impression, it's just it. slipped to mm -hmm, yeah. now we're just going to talk about it this way. Yeah. But what about all the people that you trained and certified in these outdated ways of talking about it? Like there was never communication. Yeah. You know, to like their well, their they trainees. Would, they would be like, outraged. Gonna... Right. Oh, the trainees would. Yeah. Like you just taught me all the wrong stuff. I want my money back. Like the certifiers can't do that. They but should. like you and I talk, right, right. They should. Yeah. I, I feel like if you frame it as just like, I learned new information and I've updated to, to me, I feel like that would reflect on, oh, that's a, I, I admire that person for, I agree for going out of their way to update. Yeah. But I could still see how it'd be frustrating. Yeah. Yeah. But anyway, that's, that's so like, hard. I feel like that's a good sign of like, it's a good sign. What would that be like a green flag? I always hear about red and yellow flags, but not <laughs> yeah, if green. some yeah, if, if you witnessed that, I think that would be like, oh, I want to, you know, I want to follow these people. They're updating because their, they're, they're transparently yeah. updating their messaging and owning up That's to right. when they weren't, you know, it's not wrong. It's not bad to have espoused those things when that was yeah. the prevailing information mm -hmm. that you had at the time so mm -hmm. yeah you can't fault the the people who were saying those things for being wrong because everybody thought that of course That's you'll hear right. a few people who are like i never believed that but yeah i mean i think sometimes everyone maybe that they surrounded themselves with taught that but i still think yeah. the wider body of evidence even when i was taught about balls and myofascial release was already had moved beyond that but anyway so yeah, that's just another good tip I we think for uh, helping to discern whether a source is trustworthy. Maybe we'll talk like a couple, couple more here. I think another really good one and one that I feel like we probably see a lot is does the person or the source, uh, does the person stay in their lane? Yeah. In what they're talking about? What do you think about that one, Travis? I think that's really important. Because <laughs> that they stay in their get, lane. When you get fitness and yoga people talking about epidemiology and yeah. vaccines oh. it's like i i'm That's not so qualified true. to have an opinion on that sure i have a phd but my phd is in a very specific thing and like I, right. I are you saying you're saying you are you when you say sure i have a phd yeah or any or anybody yeah anybody who doesn't have a phd in epidemiology shouldn't be an armchair epidemiologist that's so, right uh or right. or whatever if you want to apply it the other way to to yoga so yeah like yoga teachers shouldn't be expert be be self-proclaimed experts in i don't know what what's something that yoga teachers sometimes feign expertise in sometimes pay, like posture and pain i feel like sure. you know alignment right. and pain is a common one right like, right i'm so, an expert like, on how you should align your body to avoid pain like that's yeah, not within that's... the scope of a yoga like we're, we don't treat pain as yoga teachers right right yeah so like are they staying in their lane maybe another way of putting that is like uh are they making claims that are out of their scope like what's their scope right. of practice and are they staying within scope of practice 
Yes. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So sometimes it, sometimes it's unless we ask ourselves that question, unless we step back and take a look like what, who, what are their actual credentials and qualifications and is what they're saying aligned with that? Or are they stepping out of their actual, like what yeah. they're, what they're qualified to talk about? Um, so I think if we take a step back, sometimes that really clearly gives you whether it's a green or a red flag on whether yeah. to trust Pe someone. Pe yeah. People just be because they're smart and they might be smart, but they might be allowing that smartness to, you know, uh, project over spill over into too many things that they really have no business having an opinion, opining on. Right. That's so true. And that's, thanks for putting it that way. Yeah. And I feel like it's, that's a very common, that's very common, like just in the yoga movement, fitness rehab, but just in general, you know, um, in our society in general, just people, like mm -hmm. you said, opining, popping <laughs> off on something that they actually don't, don't really have the experience to be popping off about, yeah. but then people don't know that. And especially if the person is like an influential person, if they're famous or if they have a really large, uh, social media following, you know? Yeah. It's hard because people ask your opinions on things, right? I'm sure you get that sometimes. Yeah. And, yeah. You know, like, well, you have a social media following, you are really smart. So I'm going to ask you about whatever. Right. And then you're like, I actually can't answer that question because that's not within that's my, not in my scope. Yeah. I get a lot of, or we, I feel like fields. Um, although I do, I think you're more because of your rehabilitation scientist PhD, you're more qualified in the rehab realm, but I am not as a yoga movement teacher. I get a lot of questions that people ask like, what should I do about my SI joint pain? What should right, I do about right, right. my back pain? And, um, I think I've seen lots of examples of yoga teachers responding saying, oh, you should do this. You should do that. You know, oh, God. Like yeah. all over the place. Um, yeah. Well, and the funny thing too, even if you are qualified, so if you look sometimes on like uh, PT forums, people like will- Like physical, physical like, therapists, you mean? Physical therapy, yes. People will bring in questions like, hey, I have a patient with this. Mm. And then you'll get a hundred different replies with a hundred different three-letter acronyms. <laughs> Do this because of, you know, I learned this. And it's right. like, nobody even ever saw this person- and assess them. The actual client. So, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Just diagnosing uh, things on the internet, even if you are qualified, is like a no-no. That's a really good point, Travis. That's a really good point because ultimately so it's anybody, about one-to-one, -one, right? Anybody who's giving a really quick, like, <laughs> oh, do this, you know, uh, try this acupuncture. It's like, yes. Change your alignment. Um, stretch your hamstrings because your tight hamstrings yeah, are causing your back yeah. pain. Like, so it's just all over the place. Yeah. So anytime people, we see claims like that coming from, you know, like these black or white claims about how to address uh, some anonymous person's painful issue. To me, that's a red flag that they're probably not super evidence-based. Yeah, because they wouldn't be giving an answer if they were. Yeah, the evidence-based answer is like, I'm not the right person to ask. Like, go, go, uh, and you maybe refer them to someone who is. That would be really helpful. Yeah. Like, yeah. check in with my P this PT friend of mine or something. Totally. Um, Travis, we are just about at the end of our uh, time here to talk about this excellent topic. We have covered a lot. Um, I think some of the other things that we have on our list to offer as tips, we kind of have already, like, covered uh, yeah. Like, you know, do they, does the person cite references and do the references actually say what the person says they do? 
Um, Do we trust someone just because they have a large social media following? You know, just things like that. Um, Were there any any final ones? Uh, I think it maybe we've already kind of talked about just because someone has letters behind their name doesn't necessarily mean that they're like um, just because a lot of in the yoga world, they're PT, physical therapists slash physiotherapists. They have the PT after their name. But within the field of physical therapy, we know there's a lot of outdated and pseudoscience. So it's like you can't tell just by that that the person is like very evidence based. Yes. Right. Like you agreed, can't tell just agreed. because they have that. Right. Correct. I think that's an important point to make. Oh, what don't about trust somebody who doesn't believe? Don't trust somebody who has a belief that contradicts everybody else in the world. <laughs> right. Oh, that. Oh, I see. That's a new point you're making. Yes. Right. Because if they, yeah, if they're like saying something that's just so cool, it's and we hear that a lot, right? Like so and so has this revolutionary new system or idea that blows everything else out of the water rarely can you trust anything that like one person on just like one day all by themselves came up with and then started as a system. It's like, that's probably, probably not going to be very in line with the science. Um, Mm -hmm. Travis, should we trust someone just because they're, because they wrote a book? We can trust us. We We wrote wrote a book. book. Yeah. Uh, No, definitely not. Anybody can write a book. Mm -hmm. Oh my gosh. I see this one (laughs) a lot in the yoga world. But just like, yeah, I believe this because this person wrote this book that I read in my yoga teacher training, you know, but mm-hmm. I think it's helpful to point out that like publishers, like books are published by many people. There are tons of pseudoscience books. There are books about astrology. There are books about acupuncture. Like there are, you know, so just because there's a book doesn't mean that it's evidence-based. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and then one more. Yeah. Maybe this will be our Related last one. to that. This will be our last one. <laughs> will be it kind of goes hand in hand with those people who are citation dumping yeah but using really big fancy sounding words thank you for mentioning to make you sound to make themselves sound really smart Mm -hmm. it just if you don't understand what they're saying then there's a good chance that it doesn't make doesn't mean anything it doesn't make any sense thank you so much for i see that one a lot like, yeah, yes, like someone just everywhere. using these t- quote technical sounding words that sound sophisticated, then you just assume, oh, they must know what they're talking about because I don't understand those words, but they must. So then you believe them. Um, don't you think like someone who knows a topic really well, like one of the key, a key element is like, if you understand a topic well, you can explain it in basic terms. I do think, do you that's, think that's true. I do think so. I think you are a really good example of someone who does that really well. Just have to say. In your Thank education. You. Yeah. I, I would offer that same praise to you. Well, thank you. And maybe that's just a good, like for just anybody who wants to teach anything, I think that's a good tip to think like, well, am I able to teach it in a, in a basic way that like most people could understand or, or can I only talk about it in this really high leveled way? Yeah. Or they're just, they're trying to, they might know what they're talking about, but they're trying to sound smart to try yeah. to dupe you, to try to make themselves seem better than the rest so that yeah. you concentrate on them. I think that's so true. Yeah. So it's just one side. It's like, don't take someone's fancy and sound, fancy sounding words alone as a sign that you should trust them. Like, that's not yeah. a good reason to trust someone just because they use words that you don't understand. Yeah. And I uh, like maybe even going so far as going the other way, 
and being like, well, why do they, why can't they just use words that I understand? Yes, ignore them. exactly. If, exactly. If they can educate and talk in a way that I can understand, that might be like a green flag. Like that's, you know, maybe more likely to be someone that you might want to learn from. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Thank you for mentioning that one. Um, so maybe Travis with that, uh, we've kind of, kind of covered this semi thoroughly. This is a big topic. Um, I know yeah. I, I'm always continuing to try to, to learn and evolve in this realm, but, um, thinking this way has really helped me kind of ascertain, like you said, the bullshit detector, right? Right. right. And I, I think the last thing that I want to reiterate, and I mentioned this earlier, like exposing myself to multiple viewpoints oh yes like Thanks that's the reading. i think that's the best thing that you can do is try to identify many sources of information and even conflicting sources of information uh don't just go all towards what you believe because then you're never growing yeah so try trying to even if you don't agree with what you know you're hearing and that's a tricky one too right like there are some people that I follow on social media because I disagree with them because I want to be exposed to those things. Um, and I think other people might take that as a sign that I support them or mm -hmm. that I, I agree with them. And that's don't, I, I would encourage people not to do that. <laughs> uh, just, just, I, I hope that people don't look at the list of people I follow and say, well, that must be a credible person because he follows them. Mm -hmm. Like that shouldn't Cause be. Cause that's not why you're following necessarily why you're following yeah, them. Exactly. Yeah. And I, and I think that, it, that I would encourage other people to follow other people that they don't agree with. And maybe that they even strongly disagree with just to get that exposure to hear another side. Um, mm -hmm. whether it's, whether you know that you're never going to agree with them or whether you think, well, you know, this person's saying something different from what I've heard before, but let me entertain this. Mm -hmm. Like, like potentially let it be like a vehicle for questioning your, what you think, you know, and maybe yeah. in questioning based on seeing what someone says, you're, you just are reiterated in what you're just like, oh yeah, I can see more how that person is really, that's misinformation. Um, but yeah. also it could be if you question and then you, you reflect, maybe that other information helped you learn something new. I yeah, I so that very well, be, be open-minded, but also be skeptical. Yeah, that's a great way to put it. Yeah, expose yourself to varying points of view. We don't, we don't, it's not really helpful to get yourself caught up in an echo chamber. Right. Right, and that's very easy to do. That's yeah. very easy. And, and even with, and with your own beliefs, try to challenge those things. So oh, before yeah. <laughs> you just say one thing, think of all the other ways, what, how, how, what you think might be wrong. You know, do Absolutely. the full try to argue from both sides so yeah. you can make sure that, you know, whatever you're saying is bulletproof to the best that you can. Yes, exactly. Exactly. Always try to question what you're saying and look for the reasons why what you're saying might not be true. Right. That's like kind of what science does, right? Exactly. Yeah. Science is a process of not proving things correct but like trying to disprove ideas, right? Which is kind of the opposite of what people tend to think. Yeah. Do you think we should, we can end on that? Let's do <laughs> on it. On that fine, that fine idea. Um, thank you so much though, for having this conversation with me. Thank you. And that wraps up our look at which yoga and movement educators we should trust. 
Remember that you can support our work with this podcast by subscribing to our podcast and leaving us a rating or a review. You can also stay in the loop with all of our offerings by signing up for my email newsletter at jennyrawlings.com slash newsletter, and the link is in the show notes. Lastly, remember to use code podcast 30 for 30% off your first month in Travis's and my strength for yoga remote group training program, or 30% off your first month in any of the other memberships on my website. You can learn more and sign up at jennyrawlings.com and the link is in the show notes. Thanks again for listening to this episode of Yoga Meets Movement Science today. We look forward to seeing you in our next episode soon. Mm -hmm.